Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Another fairly lengthy press conference today from the governor of the state of Mississippi. That is Governor Tate Reeves, along with... um, uh, from the uh, Department of Medicare, Drew Snyder, and uh, Greg Michelle from MEMA, and Dr. Dobbs from the uh, State Health Department. Glad to have you along this afternoon. The Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At Ceasefire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Question on the table, right out of the gate. Did you stay up last night for at least first pitch of opening day of the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, baseball from South Korea, that did not happen at midnight as we thought it was going to do because of... Well, we'll get into that in a second. Did you stay up for first pitch, Borky? Uh, no, I didn't. I have I finally found the, my line where I have not crossed into sports desperation to stay up to watch the Korean Baseball League yet. Like, maybe okay. I'll get there, but I learned last night I don't miss it enough to do it. I thought about it. I was up till about, like, 11.15, and I thought, you know, hey, I got 45 minutes. I might as well just give this a shot and then I sat there for about 10 more minutes and I fell asleep so I have found my line and it's midnight Korean baseball (laughs) hey dad did you stick up for it stay up for it I was up I was going to watch it but then I saw on Twitter that there was a rain delay and I was like well I don't I'm not willing to wait that out I'm not I'm not willing to wait out a rain delay on Korean baseball no Rippy no uh I don't even know if I would have done it if it were at noon, but seen a replay since. <laughs> okay, so I get the crown. I'm the only one that stayed hey. up. I wanted baseball that badly. I um, was right, it Morky, entertaining? So, so, is the question though? Was it worth it? Oh, I mean, probably not. <laughs> Fair enough. But I can say that I stayed up and I watched it. So here, here was the deal. I came to my office. I had to go make a run to the grocery store. I got all the groceries unloaded, sat down in my office about, I don't know, right at 11. I was going, okay, I got an hour to kill. What am I going to do? So I watched one episode of Ozark and then paused it with like two minutes left to flip over so I wouldn't miss first pitch. I wanted to see the open. And there I got Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez on the screen in a two box, and they're talking. I was like, okay, this is an interesting way to do the open. And it took me for a, a minute to realize... We got a rain delay. And at that point, I was like, I'm shutting it down. I'm going to bed. But then they did a live shot, and they were starting to take the tarp off. And once they start to take the tarp off, it's like, okay, half an hour, you're going to be playing ball. So I stuck with it and made it through a couple of innings, and it was fine. It was baseball. It was real live baseball with nobody in the stands and, you know, 18 players that you probably had never heard of, maybe one or two that you had actually heard of. Uh, I will say this. So we had our uh, our favorite team draft yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
The Kaiwoom Heroes, who were selected by Brian Scott Rippey, got an 11-2 win over the Kia Tigers. The Hanwha Eagles, selected by Borky, who were big underdog last night, 3-0 win over the SK Wyverns. Um, Brian Haydaz, Lottie Giants, 7-2 over KT Wiz, the only team that lost out of our group of four lifelong passionate favorite teams. Yep, the Doosan Bears, they went down 8-2 in their home ballpark last night to the LG Twins. It was not a good night for Doosan. I don't know how long I can stick with this team. Terrible <laughs> moves by the front office. Guys just throwing up on themselves. Stage is too big. You get a national American television audience, and all of a sudden, I mean, what? You, you go three innings without scoring a run? Come on. By They're the never going to win another game. It, never going to win another game. It was this league that has printouts of their fans on the seats. I knew it was one of them. It's this league. So if you look closely, if you decide to watch again or watch a replay, uh, I guess they're going on right now, so it has to be while uh, the show's going on. You, If you look closely, this is the league where they took pictures from their fans to print out and put on their seats in the stadium so the people can be at the game even though they can't be at the game. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news for the, um, the fans of the Doosan Bears not like they missed anything last night. They're not even going to have fans when they come back. They play like a bunch of bums that have never seen a baseball before. Have mercy. A lifelong suffering fan you are. The, um, the late George Lapidus, who spent about 45 years on the radio in Memphis, huge lifelong Cardinals fan, and throughout the Cardinals season, starting with game number one and going through whenever the season finally was over, he would come on to his show during baseball season and after a Cardinals win. You see the Cardinals game last night? That's the most unbelievable team in baseball. They are never going to lose another game. After every single loss, he would come on the radio and he would say, did you watch those bums last night? They're never going to win another game for as long as they play. So that's how I'm going with Doosan. <laughs> as we stand right now, they're going 0-144. I, did, I cut out there for a second. The team I picked won... Yes, yes, the Kaiwoom Heroes. I believe that's the team you selected yesterday. Okay, and all y'all's lost? No, everybody's no, only won Richard's but lost. mine. Oh. Yeah, the Kaiwoom Heroes beat the Kia Tigers, the Lottie Giants beat KT Wiz, and uh, Borky's Hanwha Eagles uh, beat the Wyverns. But uh, a bunch of bums, the Doosan Bears, down See, in I defeat last night. I saw a tweet that has me concerned, though, because it did like a comparison of comp Korean League teams to MLB teams, and they the Giants were the Dodgers of this oh. of this league. You're already you're locked in though. It's too late. I know, right? The Wyverns are the Giants of this league. So if I had mm -hmm. had that information, I might have gone another way. But no, you would like have. I'm locked you, in. you would have stuck with the name. You would have been overthinking it. Yeah, you think you think that's what it is? One of those clubs last night had a. Shortstop that had been in the bigs like as recently as 2018. Uh, Tyler Saladino, I think who it is. He was with the Brewers in 18. I know that. Uh, yes, I believe he was one of the. Um, let's see, did he play for the Wyver uh, the Wyverns, I think. Hold on, no, he's a uh, Samsung Lion. That's it. That's it. That's right. it was. I was thinking S L. 
not S- or wow. SK. Anyway, the logo yeah. on the field was SL, which was for Samsung Lions, and that's the team that he played for. Yeah, that hit, was the game that was on TV last night. Hit two twenty six in the bigs, had 19 home runs, 92 RBIs, so not the, not the best player in the world, but still played in the bigs. Yeah. How fitting, by the way, was the start of Korean oh, baseball geez. last night? I mean, that, that's the perfect encapsulation of 2020. We finally get sports live on ESPN, and there's a rain delay and perfect apt start to a, a baseball game, a fire delay. Welcome to 2020. Yeah. It's the uh, 2020 is kind of like the <laughs> Jelly of the Month Club. Hey, Dan. The gift that just keeps on giving the whole year long. Jeez. Come on. Best thing that's happened in 2020? Happening today. Ava Montgomery, 10 years old. My daughter's 10-year-old birthday today. Happy birthday to my baby girl. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. Uh, Can't wait to get into this conversation later this afternoon. We'll do it for the college football fix just after 5 o'clock. A story from The Athletic where Larry Scott, the commissioner of Pac-12 Conference, tells us that we cannot have a playoff without uniformity. Everybody's got to be involved. Except for your conference, (laughs) apparently, Larry. Hey, Larry, I got news for you, brother. Been getting by, getting by fine without you since 2014. Yeah, I mean, all those one-liners write themselves, but as it pertains to this particular time in history, we have seats on the bus for you, and you are welcome to fill them, but the bus will leave with or without you, friend. But you see why he has this stance. Like, he's not in Of control. course. <laughs> it's just funny to me. They've made, they have won collectively as a conference one playoff game, and it was the first year we had them. Made one yeah. other appearance and got smoked in that appearance. I'll give you his quote, but we're not talking about it anymore right now. We'll come back to this, I promise, and we may spend the entire 5 o'clock hour on it. There's a spirit of cooperation when it comes to college football in particular, a strong bias toward making sure we do this together. We're all members of the college football playoff, and if we're going to have a playoff at the end of the season, we need to have uniformity on how we have a season. Right. I I got news for you, Lair. You better jump on that private jet that you've got access to right there in San Francisco and scoot on up to Sacramento and spend some time with your boy Gavin Newsom, the governor of the state of California, and get him on board, because again, that that train's going to leave the station, and it's going to leave the station whether you and the members of your Pacific Twelve Conference are on it or not. Period. Boy, I hope I'm right about that. That's pretty strong words for <laughs> if if there's any possible other way to uh, to go about it. All right. Later this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated will join us. We uh, we certainly have questions for Ross Dellinger. I, I don't know how many answers he will have, but I am fascinated in the way that he is covering the name, image, and likeness story. You know, Ross uh, spent a lot of time in Baton Rouge. That was his home base. And then when he went to work for Sports Illustrated, he stayed in Baton Rouge for a while. And then his wife 
uh, got a job in Washington, D.C., and so he was kind of able to move uh, work from anywhere. And so now Wa- Ross is in Washington, D.C., and is kind of leveraged where he is. Not that he couldn't have written the story you know, from somewhere else, uh, but is leveraged where he is to really tap into members of Congress with regard to this name, image, and likeness story. And we'll look forward to uh, chatting with him a little bit later in the 4 o'clock hour. Borky, poll question today is what? It is uh, quite simply, did you or will you watch South Korean baseball on ESPN? And I am actually surprised by this. Uh, 40% say yes. Did or will? Uh, Did or will. So did you watch last night or will you in the future watch the South Korean baseball games on ESPN? 40% right now I'm looking at. Only 47 votes, but still say that they have or will. Hmm. Well, I haven't voted yet, but uh, I can up the percentage because I did. And you got a whole lot better chance, if I'm just being honest, a whole lot better chance of me staying up till midnight and watching a few innings than getting up at 4.30 to watch a few innings. Yeah, good Whew. point. But it just shows the, the thirst for sports. I think if, if news, not news organizations, but like sports networks and stuff are able to hang on until we get them back, this fall, for everybody in sports media, ESP, the national platforms and the local platforms like us, we'll see viewership and consumption numbers and clicks bigger than we've probably ever seen ever. If it comes back in a timely fashion, we're all still here. Hey, you can watch what's happening during Sports Talk Mississippi live or on demand on your computer or on your phone or tablet by just going to supertalk.fm slash watch. You can also watch everything from Supertalk Mississippi on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Just search Supertalk or go to supertalk.fm slash connect to get connected on your smart device. While you're at it, be sure that you subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. That's the easiest way if you miss any of the show. There's an interview or a topic of conversation that you want to be sure you listen to. Grab the podcast. It's free and available readily at Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest podcast on your device anywhere, anytime. And don't forget about Thunder and Lightning, the Rebel Report, and the Super Talk Eagle Hour podcasts. Um, because of the governor's press conference, we're really just getting started with you. It's going to be a fun 4 o'clock hour, fun couple of hours with you on this um, Tuesday afternoon, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Let's get into uh, some list season topic. Porky says this is list season-esque. We'll look at the top 10 quarterback wide receiver duos in the NFL. Be thinking about what you think the best wide receiver quarterback duo is. We'll give you this list and uh, have our thoughts as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon, the 5th of May. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screenings through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. 
com. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Borky, there was um, a request for a wager with you. I don't know if we actually got to this news yesterday. I'm sure you talked about it on uh, the Sports Sunday show. Uh, you had a signing over the weekend, which was, I don't know if you, you guys saw this stat or not, of the X number of players, so it was just, say, 250, that were at the NFL Combine, 249 signed deals with NFL teams. The one that didn't? Shea Patterson. And then that changed as he signed a contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is particularly interesting because the Kansas City Chiefs earlier this offseason signed former Ole Miss quarterback and a guy who had a really good five-game stretch in the XFL, Jordan Tamu. I mean, I guess it would take, and nobody would wish this, an injury of Pat Mahomes to finally figure out the answer to the the question of (laughs) which one of those would have won the starting job at Ole Miss. Maybe? Anyway, the, uh, the text comes in, Borky, let's make a friendly wager. I'll bet you whatever you choose that Shea Patterson beats out Ta'amu to be the third team Chiefs quarterback. What do you think? Oh, I'm in. He also uh, elaborated in his, uh, I guess, questioning me saying that Patterson has zero pocket presence. Watch any Michigan game. Pick one. Any one. His best game of the year and tell me that that guy has pocket presence that translates uh, to any higher level of football, XFL included. Uh, So sure, I'll take your bet. Um, You mentioned a gift card to a steakhouse. I'll take a gift card, and if I lose and he gets the job over to Amu, I will donate $150 to the charity of your choice. How's that? What if the charity of his choice is him getting a a gift certificate to a steakhouse? That's not a charity. Okay, just being sure. Well, considering how much he texts us, it might be charity, but anyway. um, It's not really going to be close. If they keep one of them, it's going to be Jordan Tomum. And at this point, it's not going to be close. I also, in Shea's defense, think that was a bit of fake news because I did see the same stat. But Kelly Bryant was at the Combine and, to my knowledge, is not yet signed with an NFL team. Mm. Okay. We discussed that on Monday's podcast but because I brought up the same stat and then I think Borky debunked it. Yeah, Kelly Bryant uh, has not been picked up uh, as of yet, which is surprising, but... um, Either way, no, this is uh, a lot of teams. Clemson made the right decision. (laughs) Of course they did. And we talked about it. I remember I was surprised that they were doing it because they were going to win a bunch of games with Bryant. But, I mean, that's a tough decision for a coach to make. And credit to Dabble for. Somebody said that was going to happen. I don't remember who it was. Yeah, I think it might have been Rippy. Definitely not. Oh, no, no, it couldn't have been. <laughs> but, I mean, credit to Dabo. Still, looking back on that, a guy that just took them to the playoff, a guy that was likely going to lead them to an undefeated season, loses his job to a freshman four games into sort of, the season. That was that took some intestinal fortitude. What's what's a tougher call, What that or Nick Saban pulling Jalen Hurts at halftime of the national championship game for a true freshman? <sighs> One of them felt like a panic move. The other one felt more yeah. measured. 
Well, I mean, and he had been playing Trevor Lawrence the whole season when he finally decided to make the move, and it was obvious Trevor Lawrence was more talented. And, I mean, I agree. It did feel like a panic move, but it worked. I guess there's no panic moves at work, are there? Yeah, what was I, I don't the know, sport? Yeah. They, they the had half? done nothing offensively, though, had they? They had like not, 14 no. to 3? Something like that. Uh, it was 13 nothing Georgia at the half. Okay. Was it, it like is panic the right word though? Like maybe in some ways, but it seems like he was just trying like anything at that point. Like I feel like yeah. you can't really panic in a national title game. You're just yeah. willing to do anything, brash. And that guy doesn't panic, so probably yeah. not the best phrasing on my part. But like Both, points you know. well taken. Like it's just it, that that one felt like definitely more su- like obviously very much more sudden. You Both know the very uh, big moves. Yeah, I've, I've always heard people say, though, that, that played football, especially at the collegiate level, that y- you can't fool the team, right? I mean, y- you can play the game for a while where you're starting one guy, but the team knows which player is better. If you've got two quarterbacks, they, they know. Absolutely they know. And I think Dabo Sweeney made the decision because he knew and everybody else knew that Trevor Lawrence was better. And he gave them a better chance to win. And that's, to to his credit, forever, really, that's how Dabo Sweeney approached that. He said, was it a hard decision? Sure, it was a hard decision. I love Kelly Bryant. Love what he's done for our team. But my job is to give my team the best chance to win. And not just win next week against Wake Forest, to win a national championship because that's what we've built here. And the guy that gives us the best chance to win a national championship is Trevor Lawrence. And I don't care how old he is. I don't care what classification he is in school. I mean, that's basically how Dabo answered that. And I think he gets a lot of credit for just shooting straight on that deal. Agreed. Disagree. He got roasted yeah. for that, if you remember. Did he? From some people, you know how it goes. From some people, because it was. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't care what Nicole Auerbach thinks. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how she responded to that, but I mean, that's who we're talking about, right? That that, that category of people. Yes. I mean, come on, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the point, though. Um, yeah, Shea Patterson is one of those. Not sympathy signings, but these teams just need bodies when they go through camp and they, they sign quarterbacks that they know they're not going to keep on the roster uh, to help them throw to wide receivers and get through camp healthy. Um, probably maybe even throwing an agent a bone or, or somebody like that uh, just to keep relationships up or something. But uh, the likelihood of one making it over the other would be to Amu first, considering how they got him and how he has been. Uh, since they last played together versus the alternative and why he was signed yeah he, he was signed because he was really outstanding well in, the, in the i would keep wanting to say aaf xfl and so they took a flyer on him to where his like patterson was just kind of here seen this guy's dad's facebook <laughs> but, but but i mean the deal is they they signed shay patterson two weeks after the draft yeah the draft was two weeks ago already I, I was it a week, week and a half? I don't know. Every day's the same. It was. I mean, it wasn't this past Thursday, so it was the Thursday. Okay, so it was yeah, like basically 
eight or nine days after the draft. I mean, we, we heard Sean Payton may have actually gotten the Carolina Panthers in trouble because they weren't supposed <laughs> to be negotiating. I, I don't know if you saw that or not. They weren't supposed to be negotiating with players. And we know it happens all the time. He just kind of put it out there on Front Street. But if you want a player, you're putting yourself in position to be able to make that signing before dinner time Saturday night after the draft ends. I mean, those things happen fast. And it's like the Chiefs looked around a week later like, wait, a kid from Michigan still out there? I mean, everybody thought a lot of him coming out of high school. Yeah, whatever, just give him a shot. Somebody call him up, see if he wants to sign. Yeah, we need a body. Hey, Dad, why are you laughing? Because uh, I, 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 Bork, there was a show that Borky and I did. It was just the two of us, and we talked about overrated players. And I, if Borky remembers, I, thought, I said it. Shea Patterson is the most overrated player in college football, maybe in the past decade. Uh, he was the failed savior of two different programs. That's that's a rare mm. feat. The pressure that was given to him at Michigan was so unfair. I, mm-hmm. I mean, local media called it national championship or bust. That kind of stuff. That was just unrealistic expectations. Yes, he was a five-star, but still, my goodness, uh, to put that on a kid that's transferring to your school who was maybe not losing his starting job, but it was going to be a competition going into the next season at Ole Miss, that was not not fair to that kid at all. He was losing his starting job. Yeah. One way or the other. It It was going to happen. Um. Well, and and if you want to talk about unfair expectations, the play that he makes against Texas A&M in a game where he otherwise didn't play that well, and all of a sudden everybody's comparing him to Archie. And Johnny Manziel. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the most beloved player in the history of Ole Miss football and the most one of the most exciting players of the last decade in college football based on one play. I remember getting told not to do that by a certain someone. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. So Gil Brent from NFL.com wrote a uh, story, put a list out there. Uh, He kind of started out by saying that he thinks some of the players, the receivers that were drafted in the 2020 draft, and this was a receiver-rich draft, have the chance to be stars, but there are also some stars in the league already. And so he ranked the top 10 quarterback wide receiver duos in the NFL. Let's start at number one, and we'll kind of work our way down. And then I've got a a sidebar question. So be thinking about this as we go through this list. So on this list, 10 quarterbacks and 10 wide receivers. How many of the players on this list are future Hall of Famers? How many of this list of 20 players will one day have their bust enshrined in Canton? Number one on the list from the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. He says no receiver in NFL 
history has ever caught more passes in one season than the 149 Michael Thomas caught last year. While we can logically expect his catch total to dip with Emmanuel Sanders now on the roster, Sanders should ultimately help make Thomas even more dangerous by giving Breeze a second option with which to scare opposing defenses. You guys buy into that idea? You you think that's part of the reason the Saints went and got Sanders? Oh, they needed a a number two option at receiver desperately. Because what's so impressive about Thomas' season last year is, yes, they had Jared Cook. And, I mean, Ted Ginn Jr., my buddy calls him 50-50 because half the time he was dropping the football if thrown his way, and he was aging as well. Was isn't the burner that he used to be. Michael Thomas was basically by himself as a wide receiver. Teams would bracket cover him. He always got the best corner. And because Drew Brees is aging a little bit, he's not really a deep threat either. Nobody on that team is going to be because the quarterback's kind of lost some of his deep ball. And yet he still broke that record. That, that's what's so remarkable about that season he just had because of all of those factors, and he was still able to break that record. But yeah, I do expect his, his numbers to dip some because there is an actual viable receiver option on that team other than him. Hey, Dad, we played a lot of years of football, and there have been a lot of wide receivers that have played the game, and a lot of them are Hall of Famers. None of them have ever caught 149 balls in one season. No. And it's it's fair to you know with Thomas it's still so young in his career that he's, he's you know he's not a Hall of Famer yet so he'll get there if he continues at this pace or you know not I don't expect him to catch one forty nine again but if he continues to be one of the top receivers in the league over the next five six years he's an easy Hall of Famer as is Breeze quite obviously. Rippy, do you believe that those two are the best quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL? Ooh. I don't know. I mean, it, like, some of that is subjective because other weapons around him. I mean, like, I'm not saying that they're there yet, but like, when, like, I guess the like antithesis of that in some ways would be the way Russell Wilson and Metcalf were this year, just because there weren't very many other options. So there are a couple of those out there, but they're definitely up there. I mean, they would you're there in the first sentence of the conversation. So Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, according to Gil Brandt, number one in terms of that combo. Number two, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So set your I hate the Falcons aside for a second and realize that in the nine years that Julio Jones has been in the league, he has caught uh, he has 12,125 receiving yards. That is most significantly uh, by that time or in that time period. And in each of those nine years, Matt Ryan is the only player in the NFL to top 4,000 passing yards in each of the nine seasons since Jones was drafted. Are they going to have a bounce back year in Atlanta? Ten of the 11 starters on the offensive side are former first-round picks. I mean, there's no excuse not to, but they do play in what is now an extremely difficult division, and um, they still have the same coach there. They could be a really, really good 7-9 and team. At the end of this, like one That's that you would hate to play, and a loss would yeah. be detrimental. But also, they're just they're just nasty. That's what they they're were at the end of last enough, season. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that's exactly what they were a year ago. Once they got like somewhat healthy, because there was a point in the middle of that year where, like, at a certain point, some teams, a couple of teams every year, just get hit with the amount of injuries where it's just kind of like, well, what do you what do you expect them to do? And that was the Falcons from week five to eleven ish. Number three on this list, Kyler Murray going into his second year 
as a starter in the NFL and newly acquired DeAndre Hopkins. This guy Third I think's putting best. a lot of weight in the wide receivers. I was about to say he's just put he's just ranking that like if you said today who are the three best wide receivers in the NFL, he just put the first three up there. As long as the quarterback has a functioning arm and can see okay, then they just kind of get tag along. Yeah, there's, there's there's not enough weight. The majority of weight needs to go to the quarterback, not the uh, the the receiver. Kyler Murray was impressive like, last year, though. Bad offensive good, line, I, and I mean, he was ahead of Tom good. Brady and and Mike Evans. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that and like, well, even if you're just talking about lethal combinations, how do you not put Mahomes and Tyree Kill in there? You talk about just some things that are yeah, completely like, like uh, just completely you can't guard it. How is that not in the first sentence or the top well, two? I would have put them number one. I think that's I might have also just because the, the way when you they look, play. You know. Hate to get ahead of the, of the rankings, but the next number four is Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Number five is Mahomes and, and Tyree Kill. I mean, I, I, I agree Amari Cooper is better than Tyree Kill, but Mahomes is a lot better than Dak right now. It's not even close. All right. But that's a better so, so example of pause. the point I was trying to make. I think yeah, no, 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 Cooper I'm agreeing and, with you. No, I agree with you. I yeah, agree no, with Cooper you. and Dak are a better combination than a lot of receivers that where where the individual parts may be better. But like them together is pretty lethal. All right, so in terms of making this flow better, let me give you the entire list, and then we can argue the points so that everybody's on the same page. Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, number one. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, number two. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, number three. Then it's Dak and Amari. Pat Mahomes, or Patrick, or Patty, or whatever you prefer. And Tyreek Hill from Kansas City at five. Number six, Tom Brady and Mike Evans. Number seven, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Eight on the list, Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown. Nine, Matt Stafford and Kenny Galladay with Detroit. And then at ten on the list, Phillip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton. That's the tenth best quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL, according to Gil Brandt at NFL.com. I'd have Stafford and Galladay up higher as well. Not on a good team, but if you're talking about just duos, Stafford, he gets lost because his teams aren't good. He's a really good NFL quarterback. Well, name a receiver on the Vikings besides Kenny Galladay. I bet you can't. You mean the Lions? Uh, yeah, excuse me, the Lions. Oh, is Calvin Johnson still there? No, he's not. <laughs> I was going to say Megatron. But, yeah. And I get that you're trying to do current ones, but like, it, like I don't see how you can put a duo on there that's never played a snap together in Murray and Hopkins to whereas last year, like you talk about absolutely lethal combination, uh, Hopkins and Watson are pretty much, like they're some some. Well, they just got Amendola. Where... They haven't played yet, but I forgot about that. With who? Detroit. Did you say Amendola? Yeah, Danny Amendola. It's just the Patriots of 2013. I think Wes Welker is mulling the possibility of coming to Detroit as well. <laughs> yeah, for for me, this list, Mahomes should make them number one. And then I would have Breeze Thomas, Brady Evans. Uh, maybe Stafford fifth. Or I guess, yeah, that would be fifth. Yeah, that, 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 that's my top five. Rippy, you asked for it. The Lions receivers are Galladay, Chris Lacey, Ooh. Danny Amendola and Travis Fulgham. Who could forget? The, and, but if you're talking about just combinations, Fulgham. I would put, If you're talking about combinations, Dak and Amari Cooper as a combination between the two, like not supporting cast, 
notwithstanding. Like, they're top four in the, the connection they have. Like, you talk about, like, when I think yeah, But not everybody like can how, be top four. I'm not saying everyone can be top four, but I just don't think the guys, I don't think he's actually talking combinations here. Because, like, I'm thinking third down, how often do you think, how the hell did he find him again, and then you just get screwed and don't get off the field. Dak and Amari are certainly top three, top four, when I, like, at least when it comes to my mind, when, like, when you're talking about that. His addition alone changed, I mean, changed the way people think of Dak Prescott even. Because his approval rating was shrinking until they signed Cooper and gave him a weapon on the outside, and now people want him to sign an almost $40 million contract. Are Tom Brady and Mike Evans where they should be on this list? No, they should be higher. Um, I'm okay with it. Um, and to Rippy's point, we haven't seen Kyler Murray and, and Hopkins play yet. I would have Brady and Evans over those two because we don't know what those two are going to do just yet. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy will quite take a quick timeout and be back with you. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Ross Dellinger joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ross, we've got the uh, the live stream up, and we've got a picture of you right now. Uh, I think you were 19 in that picture. <laughs> Maybe 21, that's but probably 19. That's why, I, that's why I sent it to y'all. See, that, that actually, as crazy... Uh, as it's going to sound, that picture was taken roughly a year ago. Uh, it just was no way. Man, it was like it was. I promise you, it was perfect light in my apartment. My wife took it, and I looked at it, and I said, "Okay, that's the picture I'm using for the rest of my life." There you go. Well, that uh, that makes sense. Uh, I suppose that uh, that makes sense. Uh, fortuitous timing a year ago to have moved to Washington D.C. and uh, be sitting right there. Uh, I, I guess relatively close to the. I don't know. Russell and Dirksen and having access to senators and congressmen to cover this evolving story? Uh, or does it matter where you are uh, in order to cover it? Oh, it certainly helps being here. You know, um, obviously I can't do any uh, face-to-face uh, meetings lately with the virus, but uh, I spent most of February um in part of March, meeting face-to-face with legislators in their office and their aides. So that helped tremendously to get a better grasp on what's going on, you know, in Congress when it comes to the NIL debate. So, uh, and there are a lot of other people here, more than just, um, you know, congressmen and women. Uh, just, uh, you know, the Aspen Institute is here, and they've, they've held some things that I've attended. Uh, Georgetown... George Washington uh, universities are here. They've held some uh, panel discussions I've attended. Um, there's there's a lot of lawyers, you know, sports law attorneys in and around D.C. Yeah. So it, it is, it's kind of a, a hub for the topic. And, um, yeah, luckily, you know, um, I'm here and I moved here uh, at the at kind of at the right time last April. So... I don't even know how you encapsulate this uh, at this point. I thought the story you wrote last week was was really good and covered a lot of bases. So we get name, image, and likeness. The NCAA knows it's got to move. They know that it's got to move 
Uh, they've got to move relatively fast because you have the looming deadline with the, the California legislation. Is there any way around federal legislation to make this all work? Is that the only way that ultimately this is going to work? Whether or not we believe that the, the, the Congress should be setting up name, image, and likeness legislation or not, is there any other way it's going to work? Yeah, probably not. Um, you know, I, uh, I it, it's hard to see uh, just because you have all these. You know, you have all these state. First of all, what's going on? And believe me, the the issue is um, it's fairly complicated. But you have at least thirty states right now that are considering and, and mulling over um, nil legislation, and, and two of them have actually. Uh, or three of them have passed laws. In the first one, Florida's, if it is signed this summer as expected by, um, by their governor, it will go into effect next July. And if you get to a point where that happens and you've got Florida playing under different rules because Florida's NIL legislation is very much, um, a little more progressive, you know, a little more radical than the NIL's plan. If you have that happen, you know, Florida will be playing under different rules, and, and obviously there will be an unfair advantage. So in order – and eventually you might have a lot of states jumping on board, along with California and Colorado. Those will take effect in 2023. But Florida's – right, Let me stop and ask you a question there, though. So, so the, the practicality of that, let, let's say that there's not federal legislation and Florida's legislation goes into effect July 2021. And yeah. so Florida can now say, to, uh, whether you're going to Florida or Florida State or Miami or FAU or FIU or wherever, you can profit off name, image, and likeness if you come to one of these schools. What is the play for the NCAA at that point? Do they say, no, we can't have different sets of rules for different people. If you accept money for name, image, and likeness that you're at one of these schools, you're now ineligible. Can, can they do that? Well, Will they do that? They, they can, and it'll end up in a courtroom. You know, no matter what. No matter what happens, it would end up in that case, and in really any case, if we get to July 2021 and and we don't have a federal mandate of some kind, and Florida goes through with their their set of laws and it gets enacted, um, we're we're gonna be we're gonna be in courtroom, you know. Um, and it's a question I asked everybody for that story last week. You mentioned, you know, what happens if this happens, you know, and nobody has a great answer except, well, it'll probably be uh, in a lawsuit of some kind, and those take yeah. sometimes years to complete. So the the goal is not to get there, to avoid that. And, and the only really way to avoid it is is really there's three options, as we outlined last week, and it is a congressional federal NIL bill that uh, will preempt all the state laws and preempt the NCAA's laws. And that's what the NCAA wants, of course, uh, they would like the federal bill to be NCAA friendly, um, but if you sure. read enough of my stuff on this, you you know that it's probably not going to be. But it will at least supersede the state laws. So that's that's one uh, option. The second option is probably more so what the NCAA wants, and that is Congress to give them an anti exemption, uh, basically um, preempting any kind of legislation and giving it full authority to. You know, here are our rules, and, and our rules will preempt state state law. And then the third one's a little more complicated, but it involves a, a union being formed by the state 
by the states kind of to to have universal uh, language in their NIL laws. But uh, unless one of those three things happen, and uh, two of the three obviously uh, are, are surround Congress, um, then we're going to have, uh, you know, quite a bit of chaos next July. I know you're you're a reporter, not somebody that editorializes, but the idea of Congress giving the NCAA antitrust exemption seems incredibly far-fetched, and the idea of 50 states being able to organize and unionize seems like a monumental task that there's no way that could happen in 13 months am I, or 14 months. Am I crazy for thinking those two things? No, it's, it's you know, it's, um, I don't know if I'd call it a long shot, uh, but especially given the virus, the pandemic going on right now, um, yeah. which is on the minds of, of most lawmakers uh, and on their plate, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to see something happening uh, this quickly. And, and, again, this just goes back to um, what, even NCAA leaders and athletic administrators will tell you that it is their fault. They should have been moving on this quicker. They were forced into it by the states, and they should have done it uh, long ago. And they waited the last minute, and, and now here we are. Ross, I wish we had more time for, for you to more adequately answer this question. Only about a minute left. What does Congress want? Because you, you published a letter today that two senators sent to Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, uh, that includes the NCAA saying that um, the framework from the NIL that the Board of Governors put out does not go far enough. What do they want to see? Yeah, well, they want, yeah, they want athlete compensation to go beyond name, image, and likeness. Um, and that's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily saying they want the schools to directly pay their their athletes. They want a little broader set of reform from top to bottom, whether it be a cap on coaching salaries, just the lavish spending in general, health and safety concerns for players. They want much more deeper, robust conversation around reform other than, hey, you can go get endorsement and sponsorship deals. And if they don't get it, they're probably not going to move on any kind of preemption or antitrust exemption. And before you let me let me go... On another topic, uh, it, how we started this, I was sent the picture that you were referring to, and no, that was not me a year ago. That was me like 15 years ago. So I thought you were talking about another photo, but man, that, that is an old one you got there. I, I wish I still had that hair. You, you understand why I said it. it? Looks like you're 19 in that. I mean, I was probably in yeah early 20s for sure. Yeah. Hey, last thing and. Does the Congress even know what they're asking for when they say something like, we want to cap coaching salaries? I mean, last time I checked, the, the United States, generally speaking, operates as a capitalist country. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a complicated issue. That's one of the many that, they, that they're that they asking for. Is, in, there's, just, there's a lot of issues with the whole, you know, um, lavish kind of spending of athletic departments, uh, uh, when you when you don't compensate your employees, and that's it, it's a it is it's a complicated issue, and there's been lawsuits surrounding that. Um, but mm-hmm. they they it is it is an issue. And I was in a Senate hearing in January, and it is a, a, a topic that came up time time again. Uh, the salaries that administrators and coaches make, and in Congress, kind of 
is taken aback. Uh, lawmakers are taken aback, kind of by by that, and um, and they want to see certainly something done. Yep, certainly is a complicated topic, and I hope we can uh, spend some more time on it very soon. Good visiting with you as always, Ross. Stay young. All right, guys. I'll try. See ya. It's Ross Dellinger on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Let's stay on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. Martha Allen uh, runs Extra Table. So we talked with Robert St. John, uh, oh, a week and a half or so ago. And, yeah. and Robert takes all the credit, and he talks big and bad about it. But she is the <laughs> one that makes it all happen at uh, Extra Table. Martha, what's up? Hey, guys. I'm so excited. Thanks so much for having me on. It's Giving Tuesday now, so there's definitely a lot of extra stuff to discuss today about Extra Table. All right, so so tell us what's going on. We, we we talked with Robert, had a great conversation with him a, a couple of weeks ago about uh, kind of the the heavy load that you guys, like many others, are carrying right now with not only uh, COVID nineteen, the response to that, and, and making sure that people are, are not going hungry, but also uh, with some of the disaster relief stuff uh, that was happening, especially in the Pine Belt area. So so what's on uh, the menu, for lack of a better way to describe it, right now? <laughs> well. Today we're focusing on fundraising. So you can go to extratable.org and donate today. The sweet folks at Corner Market, they're a big grocery um, company, family-owned and operated here in Hattiesburg and all through South Mississippi. Um, they have give, they've put up a $20,000 match to encourage people, you know, to make a donation to Extra Table today in order for us to be able to continue feeding people at the rate we're feeding people throughout COVID. Um so Extra Table has become really nimble. We're not just shipping food these days. We're also rescuing food. So we've cleaned out three casinos on the Gulf Coast. We're moving, I think we've moved 44,000 fresh eggs and thousands of gallons of milk and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of rice and anything that we can we can do to put a meal on the table for someone here in Mississippi, we're doing it. So, so what are the mechanics of that? What does that look like when you say we go and we clean out a casino that had to close for the foreseeable future, but obviously they're prepared to feed lots and lots of people in you know, a short period of time? So what's that process like? Imagine all the potatoes you could ever dream of eating in your entire life. Multiply it by 100 and that's how many were there. Um, wow. So we, we just work with our partners. You know, at Extra Table, we have partner food pantries that we supply food to for free each and every month. And so we called on many of those pantries, other church pantries and, um, you know, other community organizations that were feeding in, um, in the face of pan- the pandemic that is COVID-19. And um, we asked them to all meet us there, and we worked dividing everything out. So if this person could use this, somebody else, you know, got something different. So it was just a big team effort. And that's what it takes, and that's what it's going to take for us and um, to feed as many Mississippians as there are looking for their next meal. Prior to COVID, there were 700,000 hungry Mississippians. And now we all know kids that are out of school without food. We have a neighbor or a family member or even ourselves that hours have been cut and are out of work. So 
people that never thought they would enter the doors of a food pantry are in line right now. And Extra Table is, you know, very determined to continue supporting our food pantries and to support our pantries on a weekly basis, not a monthly basis, in order for them to do the most feeding and do the most good. Martha Allen is Executive Director of Extra Table. That's the uh, organization that was uh, founded by Robert St. John and is uh, supplying food to hungry Mississippians all over the place. Uh, Martha, from the first time you and I or Robert and I talked about this, the thing that has really stood out to me, and it, you know, if you've ever been involved with a charitable organization, whether it's a fundraiser or, or just an organization, it, normally some money goes to operating, but that's not how it works with you guys. That's a separate pool of money. Every dollar that's raised, whether it's today on Giving Tuesday or any other day through Extra Table, goes to feeding Mississippians. That's exactly right. Um, you, I, We have two separate 501c3s in order to ensure that 100% of the food funds go to food always um, because we believe that that's something so critical. And there's a separate group of um, ladies that gather in Jackson Monthly, and they um, work to raise my salary. And we're you know, an office of one with some interns still at this point. So um, it's it's all, it's wild over here, but we're getting it done. It's a statewide agency run with one person, and we're feeding, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and supporting 37 food pantries statewide. I know it's got to feel like drinking out of a fire hose right now for you. So remind people one more time on this day where uh, you guys are, are specifically asking for donations uh, if people are interested in getting involved, how they can do so? Yeah, meals matter and dollars make the difference. So $1, $5, or $10, any amount is welcome. Um, and today those funds are being de- those funds are being matched up to $20,000. We're almost there. So quickly go to extratable.org and help us reach our goal of $20,000. So that will be 80,000 meals that we've fundraised for in this one day. That's absolutely remarkable. You heard Martha say earlier that our friends at uh, Corner Market there in Hattiesburg have made a $20,000 matching donation. Uh, And so if uh, you were able to give, it would be of huge help to them. Extratable.org. Just click on the button at the top of the page that says Give Now and make your donation. Martha, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great day. Stay safe. That's Martha Allen from Extra Table. We'll be right back. Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Ceasefire Business featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With Ceasefire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually and more all over secure cloud-based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at cspire.com slash business. That's college football fix coming in just, just a second, but we had a text message that came in on the Cspire text line. Again, that number 601-879-4395. And I think this makes a lot of sense, and it spurred a question for me. Here's the text. I'm not against paying athletes for name, image, likeness, but can we at least first put all student athletes on full scholarship so the playing field is even? A baseball player would be making money to cover the rest of his ride while other sports are making profit from the start, and that's not right. I, I agree with that. And 
if at the federal level we're going to put legislation in place that says make it a free market, give them the ability to make money, name, image, likeness, and take it a step farther, as Ross was telling us a few minutes ago when we were talking with Ross Dellinger on the Farm Bureau phone line, why don't we say that there is value in the college education and have, at the federal level, Congress mandate that all student-athletes are given full scholarships? Or at a minimum, give them the opportunity to offer full scholarships if they can afford it. Some schools just simply cannot afford very small schools that participate in Division I sports not named football probably can't afford to give their baseball team that loses money uh, full scholarships. So at least provide the option for schools to do it, I think. But I'm with you. I think it should go all the way. I think if you're a college athlete, they should give you a full scholarship. Baseball players uh, leaving school in debt doesn't sit right with me when the school's making a bunch of money, maybe not off the baseball team, but still. Like an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State even can afford it. And they make money on baseball. Not a whole lot, but they, they, they do. It's at least not operating in the negative like it is most places. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. 100% uh, guy who texted in and then you as well, Richard. It, it's never made any sense. I like the, the idea. Don't get me wrong. I, and I, I do believe that you know those guys should be on scholarship, guys and girls. But it is an apples to oranges kind of comparison. We're talking about private businesses paying money to athletes versus the schools paying more money to athletes. Yeah, yeah, but it's all encompassing because they want the NCAA to allow it. Is there? Hey, Dan, I think we, I think we lost Hayden at the tail end of what you were saying there. Okay. Did I cut out on y'all? Yeah, let's try that again. So I, I, I heard you say private businesses versus versus making the, the university pay more money to the athletes in, in, in scholarship form. So it doesn't feel like like it's a true apples to apples comparison, as far as I'm concerned. Am I the only one that's scared of the idea that Congress is going to do all of this? Because yes, the NCAA does not act in, in the best interest of student athletes. I think they are, um, it, it, to some degree, pretty corrupt, or at least. They operate in a way that pads their own pockets to pay their multi-million dollar salaries. They don't really care about the student-athletes. But is there a group that is that you trust less than, than Congress to get college sports right? That, that idea scares me. I would rather the NCAA do this than Congress do this, I think. I'm going to go on a limb and say I would trust the NCAA less than Congress. That's tough. No, I, I agree with Rippy. I, I do trust the NCAA less than Congress. Um, I think it's about self-interest and... You don't think that's what Congress is about, too, though? No, yeah. I do think it's what Congress is about. And I think out of those 435 members in the House of Representatives and the, the 100 in the Senate, you got a lot of people that aren't really sure what a football bat is. The, the the problem is this, that the best way to do this would Nobody be... Nobody even allow- smiled on that, right? It's- it's, it, I get it. But Thank that said, you. the best way would be to allow the students to unionize and have their own representation. The problem with that is then you're calling them employees, and now the universities do have to start paying them. Uh, so okay, th- so it's let, just let me difficult ask, to get to that point. Let, let me ask a question, and, and I know that none of us here, and probably very few of you, believe in the sanctity of college athletics and, oh, it's about the experience and all that good stuff. I mean, it, 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 we're just in a different time. 
But the larger question is, are we willing to completely throw away the intercollegiate model? Because if you're in favor of allowing student-athletes to unionize and have them compensated and all of those things, that's what you're doing. You're taking the intercollegiate model, which has been extremely successful for a really long time and has allowed tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of young people to get an education that would not otherwise have the opportunity to do so because of their athletics abilities. Athletic abilities. You know, I know it's cliche, but the commercial that the NCAA runs over and over and over and over where they talk about, you know, 97,000... I'm making up numbers. I don't remember what they are. 97,000 student athletes and, you know, most of us go pro in something other than the sport we play. Yeah. But none of that is changing. Like, it but, would just be made better and probably, not probably, most definitely more fair. That's what scares me about Congress, though. I don't know if you guys saw the reaction from all of them. Anybody that was asked about it, it was universally, this isn't enough. This is not good enough. It's unacceptable. That's what scares me about Congress making this decision because I, I'm, I agree with you completely. The, the collegiate model, while outdated and needs tweaking, is still a practical one and when congress everybody involved republicans democrats from florida and california and pennsylvania everywhere they saw the ncaa's release which i think all of us kind of liked it i mean there were some things that were a little fishy but generally it's a really good step and all the lawmakers thought oh this isn't enough it's lip service it's crap we don't like it at all they need to change it that's that was their reaction they want it to be wide open and i don't think we should do that I like that the athletes are going to be allowed to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. I think that's far overdue. They're the ones that work the hardest, that sacrifice the most, and their compensation model, generally speaking, hasn't changed since like 1912. It's a scholarship, and that's what they get. A lot of these guys... But can, they get a whole lot more than that of now. Of course. Yeah, that's, it has that's evolved. And, and, and you've had... Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's the point you were making. And It was. With the cost of attendance addition and the stipe, how many different coaches have we heard say, or, or, or former athletes say, that when I was in school, we were broke. Like, didn't have money for laundry, didn't have money to go on dates, you know, just scraped by, you know, maybe we sold the tickets that we had for a game so we could have an extra hundred bucks in our pocket. And we've had coaches tell us players are putting five, six, seven thousand dollars in cash in their pockets each semester. So, for some, maybe the circumstances from which they come, they need a lot more money than that. I understand that. I don't know that you can make rules for everybody based on what just a few need, though. So, Right, which if, is why we if, need to preserve place, the model in some way. They have to preserve yeah. it in some way. But if you unionize and if you just say, pay the players, they get $50,000 salaries across the board. I mean, and you, you know who loses in that scenario? And you know who's going to lose? If, if all of the congressmen and women that I saw quoted, if they win and get it their way, the people that are going to lose are the non-money sports. Because 
every athletic department in the country, if it's just wide open and, and they just make it go crazy, and it sounds like some congressmen want the schools to also be involved in compensation, if they get their way, they will have football, men's basketball, enough women's sports to, sat- to satisfy Title IX, and everything else will be cut. Yeah. That's what will happen. I think you've got to establish the value that exists for a scholarship. And you have to agree on the fact that that has value because it has value. It does. It has value. And then you're allowing a stipend, which adds cash benefit. And you're adding the full cost of attendance, which adds more cash benefit. And if you go to full scholarships... Look, I'm okay with the NCAA paying less money to the schools in terms of television revenue from the NCAA basketball tournament and in turn having to help fund scholarships to level the playing field across the board. How about that? So, and then if you add name, image, and likeness on top of that, I mean, if you get kids that are... You know, they're getting ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars a year before name, image, and likeness goes into place. And I, I'm not talking about for the superstars that are gonna make a quarter of a million dollars on this deal. I'm talking about just for the average player that can, you know, add a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, an extra twenty thousand dollars when you don't have to pay for school while you're in school, that's real money. Blind fair. The last one to know. The last one is Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's check in on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Greg and Jackson, do the athletic departments have an operation figure for each sport? And yeah, they... I mean, there's a balance sheet, there's a P&L statement, you know, whatever accounting principles or systems they have in place. I mean, they, they know each sport has... So an athletics department has a budget. And that's the number that gets published in USA Today every year. And within that budget, they break things down internally so that they know football's budget is X and baseball's budget is Y and softball's budget is Z and you know so on for every sport that's out there. They know what it's going to cost to pay security personnel for stadiums and they know what the outlay you know what they're going to receive from their concessionaire you know it goes on and on so yeah they they know all of those numbers generally speaking though the way college athletics departments have operated for the last certainly since the television money just spun out of control has not been oh let's save up a whole bunch of money for just in case a pandemic pandemic rolls through, it's been we got to spend, we got to spend, we got to spend, we got to keep up with the Jones. You know, we've got to put a slide inside the practice facility. We've got to put sleep pods in the locker room. You know, we've got to have a waterfall in the training facility, and you know, whatnot. Um, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But if you spend every dollar you make and then you get to a point where you have less income coming in 
and you got bills to pay. I mean, it's no different than us, right? I mean, you, you have to, you know, whether you actually have a written budget or you just know that you have to operate within the confines of I, I'm limited to the money that I've got in order to spend and the money that I can borrow in order to spend. I mean, you know, eventually if the money runs out, you got to either stop spending or figure out a way to make more money. College athletics departments, for the most part, have not operated in that way. Now, most have some savings, but not enough to offset missing an entire year of football in terms of revenue. I have seen some uh, people, even like national columns, criticize college athletic departments for not being better prepared for coronavirus as if, like every other company in the world, is not also struggling right now. Yeah. I mean, what what do you expect them to do? Just, oh, maybe we'll have a pandemic this year. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they just call it a rainy day fund. You just don't know what that rainy day is going to look like. And well, and they can't keep one because it preserves their model. But again, there are companies all over the world struggling right now. So why is it that college athletic departments are the ones that get criticism when we are all struggling? Yeah. Because they're so incredibly public, and they pull on people's heartstrings in terms of passion. I mean, there's little, at least in the part of the country where we live, that creates the level of passion that college football does. College athletics in general, but specifically college football does. I mean, you have people that are successful in all walks of life that lose their minds when it comes to their fandom. Like, successful by any measure. I mean, you know, highest levels of government, highest levels of private business, you know, net worths in the tens of millions that lose their minds. The the way they approach their fandom for a college athletics team would bankrupt their business. But that's okay. They're not doing that with their business. They're doing it with their team. So... I don't know. Big old mess. Hey, let's get to the college football fix. We need to do that right now. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buy Ford now. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. F-150, 43 consecutive years is the best-selling truck in America. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Reference this earlier in the show. Story from The Athletic. It was written by Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel. We have quotes from some conference commissioners, some athletics directors, and they are money. We'll start with Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, who oversees a conference that spans six states, four of which remain completely shut down, including the state of California. There's a spirit of cooperation when it comes to college football, in particular a strong bias toward making sure we do this together. We're all members of the college football playoff, and if we're going to have a playoff at the end of the season, we need to have uniformity on how we have a season. Hmm. Please don't start without us. I can't control what these governors are doing. We can't live without the revenue of college football. We we can't live without the debate. We can't live without the debate that a two-loss 
Pac-12 champion deserves to be in over a one-loss SEC team. We have to have it. It's as much a tradition as Cowbells, the Grove, everything else. In the Big 12, all six of the states in that conference's footprint have at least partially reopened. Here's what Bob Bowlesby says. I think it will be very surprising if all of college football can start on time and play through the season without disruptions. Even within leagues, there may be some situations where some of the teams will play and some of them wouldn't. That flies directly in the face of the quote from Larry Scott. How about John Swafford from the ACC? Well, he's got a challenge. Because the ACC has Syracuse in it which is in New York. It has Boston College, which is obviously in Boston. Um, New York in particular in no position to fully reopen anytime soon. And in this story it says, and South Carolina, where Clemson is located, where downtown Greenville was hopping on Monday. Here's Swafford's quote. We're in 10 states. Theoretically, we could have half of our schools being allowed to play at a certain point and the other half not being allowed to play. Hopefully it won't turn out that way, but it could in any combination of play and not play. Then we would have some decisions as any conference would. Mike Oresco from the American Athletic Conference. 11-team league. Tulane is in Louisiana, obviously. We're going to have a long discussion with our ADs about this, but the sense I'm getting is that we would play if the vast majority of our teams could play. If maybe there was a team or two that couldn't, I don't think the teams that couldn't play would want to hold back the entire group. Not the stance the Pac-12 as a league is taking with regard to the other conferences, though, out there. I do we got feel all bad it together for, for Larry Scott, because... This is just myself projecting, but it certainly feels like California and New York, for the ACC example, are going to be absolutely last when it comes to opening up and getting things back to normal and allowing things like football to actually happen again. So even if the rest of the country is good and fired up and ready to go, I it just it feels like California and New York for a a different reason because they've been hit hard. I mean, it's the epicenter of this deal. But they're not going to open up. So September 5th can come around and the entire SEC and the entire uh, Big 12 12. and the entire Big 10 even, maybe save for Rutgers, but do they even count anyway, is ready to go. (laughs) And they're ready to play football. And they're going to start September 5th. The Pac-12 can't because California probably is they don't care. And they don't have the situation that we have here in SEC country. Berkeley doesn't need football. Los Angeles doesn't need football. Palo Alto probably doesn't know they have football, let alone needing it to survive. So there's not even the local pressure of, hey, Governor Newsom, we will have towns that will crumble if you don't start right now. There's no pressure. They can cancel college football season, and most people around there won't even notice. You cancel college football here, and we fold. You know, Greater Bay Area, Cal and Stanford, no effect on the local economy in San Francisco based on those two teams. Now, maybe 
maybe a little bit in Berkeley and Palo Alto. But as far as San Francisco, Metro, Oakland, no effect. There's probably an effect, a pretty significant effect in Eugene if Oregon doesn't play those home games. There's an effect in Corvallis. There's an effect in Pullman. Pretty much no effect in Seattle. Not a lot of effect in Phoenix if Arizona State doesn't play. It's the smaller college towns that feel the effect in a massive, massive way. I'll give you Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Commissioner's uh, thoughts, and then another quote from Larry Scott when we continue in just a couple of minutes at Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you this afternoon. You can always text the show ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Just kind of finishing up this article from The Athletic. Kevin Warren is the commissioner of the Big Ten. Here's what he said. And, and by the way, this whole story was conference commissioners and some athletics directors speaking out on whether or not college football can play if everybody doesn't play. Kevin Warren, they may open up every uh, open up and everything is fine, or they may open back up and certain issues may arise. What I've said to myself is, now that certain states have made announcements that they're opening back up in this month of May, I will observe from a critical eye standpoint in conjunction with our health experts to deem what is appropriate for our next steps. I'm sorry, was that Kevin Warren or Greg Sankey? <laughs> um. It is important, though. These next six, eight weeks are critical because these states are opening up. As this article mentioned, uh, where I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, yeah, there are pictures. Uh, They are still asking people to socially distance, but restaurants, especially in the downtown area, have a ton of, like, outside seating. Like, Main Street is where you you don't drive down. You, You walk down Main, and so it's very outside dining friendly with that being said though there were still people everywhere and you're talking about greenville or jackson greenville okay where, where i grew up uh, where you that, grew they, up they, i didn't yes. know, I, I didn't hear if you said where you live or where you uh, lived yeah. gotcha. they, they referenced it in the article so if south carolina yeah. for the next four weeks is able to successfully slowly reopen with these guidelines in place and people follow them and there's not a spike then more and more is going to happen so these next few weeks, as far as getting sports back, are critical because people are watching Florida. Big population state, big outdoor state. People are, are everywhere. Jacksonville is opening up again, but asking restaurants to abide by these guidelines. So if people do that and Florida doesn't have a big spike, then maybe Mississippi will open. Maybe Alabama will open, and they'll do it more. And if we are able to do all of this and there's not a major spike, then there's a really good chance we're getting sports back soon. But if there is another major spike, we may have to start this process all over. Next few weeks are just critical. The reality, though, is this, right? As we open things back up, as people get out, as people either feel more confident or become complacent, I'm raising my hand here, self-included. I don't do well with sitting still. And I probably have not done as good a job as some have in this. I have a doctor friend that 
posted on Facebook today, I understand that as a city and state, we must find a way toward economic survival, but my friends, we shouldn't fool ourselves. This virus is relentless and far from over. Protect yourself and your family as you move forward during the uh, coming weeks and, uh, and months. And he noted in there that he was a small business owner as well. We're going to see some spikes, right? Especially I as mean, hey, testing Ed, increases. Uh, okay, so so yes, testing continues to increase. So more people get tested, the odds are more people are going to test positive. Hey, Dad, for the students in Starkville, Mississippi State students, who have gone home for the last two months but have a lease that doesn't run out until the end of July, Right. And they're bored with being home and whatnot. And they go, I'm just going back to start. And the same thing's going to happen in Oxford. And those people have been in a different part of Mississippi or in Tennessee or in Alabama or in Georgia or in Texas or in Louisiana or in the Northeast or wherever it is they live. And they decide to come back. The, the web of connectivity for everybody grows and grows quickly. It stands to reason that the number of cases are going to go up. I don't... Now, please don't hear me wrong. That does not mean to me, oh, we shouldn't open back up. I mean, we got to. Absolutely critical. People are getting stir-crazy. As you mentioned, I'm not handling it particularly well either. I keep worrying about... Uh, to get a little personal, um, I've got a seven-month-old, almost seven-month-old. I'm worried that the inability to really go anywhere or take him anywhere is going to have an adverse effect on his young development because he doesn't see strangers. He doesn't see strange places. And he's done okay early in his life when he's been able to, but we're months into this now. Will this affect him in his ability to socialize and meet new people and be in public moving forward because these are critical months in his development and he only sees mom and dad. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, dad doesn't even like it when people come sing Christmas carols at their house. I mean, it's not like he was going to be introduced to the world, hey, y'all come anyway. I don't think you got anything to worry about, Morky. I want him to not end you up like me. You kind of set that so one on a tee, friend. <laughs> I've got to socialize him so he doesn't end up like me. I feel like, I mean, I know as a group we've been optimistic, and I, it doesn't matter. I started to say I feel like I've been the most optimistic. I, I think all all of us have. We all want so badly for sports to return. Are we messing up and just assuming that it's going to? No, it's it's going to return at some point. We don't we just don't know the point. We don't know when that day is. We can't circle it on the calendar. But it, no, we're not being foolish by saying yes, yeah, sports is going to come back. It's going to come back. There's no way on this earth that the the, the billions of dollars that are at stake are just going to be you know somebody's going to shrug their shoulders and say can't do it. This is a really good text. We use the let's flatten the curve quote-unquote, as the reason to shut the economy down. The curve is flattening now, and yet some people want to stay shut down. We cannot do that. I, I agree. 
You you cannot move the goalposts in something like this. Now, you've got to be nimble. You've got to be willing to make difficult decisions. But you can't say this is we have to shut down our economy so that we can flatten the curve so that we can take the the worst part of the sting out of this thing. It's going to be a finite amount of time. We've got to do this to flatten the curve so that our healthcare system doesn't get overrun. You can't accomplish that, which largely we have, and then go, yeah, but now we need to hold on for another month so that we can be sure that it's gone. Or if we open it back up, there's a chance there's a spike. We get, we get there's a spike. There are going to be some spikes along the way. But you can't stop life forever. I mean, I, I only use this as an example because it's the closest thing to me. My wife owns a business that was closed for six weeks. Four home baseball weekends, Grove Bowl weekend, and double-decker in Oxford. You know what that's called? The lifeblood of a business. And I don't care whether you're talking about my wife's business or a restaurant or a, a real estate company or you know, Let's a not bar. Forget you in, don't forget you in that. I mean, you would have been calling baseball games for ESPN. Yeah. I'm just saying, but sure. you, are, you, you lost money on that deal. Well, yeah, everybody's got to go back to work. Quinn. And if you've got if you've got businesses that can work from home, great. But there are some that can't. Yeah, you're right. This is trending political with some of your texts. So maybe we probably should. Maybe we maybe we probably maybe we pr- yeah maybe we probably should pull the reins back in just a little bit. Um. Quinn says he's a huge advocate for spring football. You know, Quinn, the, the the pushback that I've heard on that, and I think we've heard it from, I think Cole Kubelik missed, uh, mentioned this, and some other people that I've talked to as well. People that are involved with college football say, that's real easy to say, but asking college football players to play two full seasons in one calendar year is just not tenable. If you move college football to the spring this year, you move college football to the spring permanently. Well, I think he meant like spring practice because he says he has coach friends who don't care that they miss spring. They're just worried about this going beyond 6-1. Yeah. Well, we spent so much time, so much time talking about the college piece of this. What about high school football? Yeah. Mm. that begins two or three weeks before the college football season starts? At least. What about that? Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.